Hi, my name's Nathan Matten, and welcome to Resync, the show where we explore our individual search for meaning and its relationship to our systemic changes in society. Today's show is with Carl Tashian. Carl is a coach, entrepreneur, leader, and programmer. He started programming as a young kid, eventually helped Zipcar build their initial technology, co-founded Yertle, a sharing platform, and is now coaching other programmers and entrepreneurs. Carl's always had a clear sense of direction in his career. He shares about the role his parents play in having that clear sense of direction, an example right after college, where he used this to land an incredible role at Zipcar. I think that my parents gave me so much latitude to explore my curiosities um, that it didn't feel unsafe for me to follow whatever it was that I thought was going to be exciting. It felt like, right. Um, And I think they helped me with that confidence. Um, I remember after college... Um, going to get my first job and I was interviewing around Boston in 2001 and I would do these interviews and I'd be like I would see the space that people were working in like the physical office environment these cubicles and like the fluorescent lights (laughs) and um, just like papers everywhere one of the places I interviewed at was one of the um, the hosts of SSL certificates, and I was like, okay, in in a way that's interesting. But when I saw the environment um, and I talked to the people, I was like, this just isn't right, and I can't. I just there was a part of me that just was like, I can't go through with this interview. Like I can't. I, I'm not going to keep interviewing for something I don't want. And it was despairing for me because I had just gotten this degree and I was like, am I going to even be able to find something that I'm excited about doing professionally in this space that I just got a degree in? (laughs) Um, But that fear didn't um, result in me taking a job I didn't want. And I was lucky to have a place to live where I wasn't paying any rent. I was staying with a roommate's mom in a a house where she had an extra room. And um, she just let me stay there while I kind of figured myself out for like about six months, I think. Wow. And it was great that, I mean, I feel really lucky because I didn't have any money. But it was like a good, it was a stable enough situation that I could explore until I found what was really going to work. And that was Zipcar ultimately. And like that interview went completely differently. Like I knew right away, I have a really strong connection with the person I'd be working for. I love what the company is doing. I'm excited about the technology. Like it kind of ticked off all the boxes immediately. Wow. How wonderful. Yeah. And what made, tell me a little about Zipcar. So what made the Zipcar experience exciting, and then what made it something you wanted to move on from at the end of the day? It was exciting because it was... So I had worked in startups before. My experience in high school was working in an internet provider um, in Nashville, and I loved the environment there. Um, 
I loved learning from all the people around me, like all the equipment that would come in and just like networking and all the stuff, you know, Linux, like Linux 1.0. And this company felt like it was, it was a bigger version of that. Um, Zipcar felt like there's tons of interesting technology here. Um, I love the people. It's small. It was eight people at the time. Um, and it had the sense of like, I saw these eight people or 10 people as it was just starting to grow, doing their work. And I would look around at what was happening in the world with the company, like people using it and the way our members, the experiences the members were having. And I was like, it's magic when a group of people can come together and make something bigger than they could individually. Hmm. And that's how it felt. It felt like something magic was, there was some magic in it because it just, it just was so, um, was the most sort of real thing I'd ever worked on. (laughs) And that was exciting. Sometimes even with a strong sense of direction, life can throw us a curveball. I asked Carl about when he felt he had to struggle through difficult time. Well, what comes up right away when you ask that is um, a couple of years around 2006, 2008, when my partner and I lived in New York City. And it was very difficult. It felt like growing up in a big way to move to New York. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in my late 20s. And we barely had enough money to be there. Um, And as soon as we moved there, I felt... So the struggle for me was um, at least twofold. One, I couldn't sleep. I was sick, like, all the time. Jeez. And um, it just kind of... Um, perpetuated itself and I was like so I was just I started drinking lots of coffee and then I started having panic attacks from like too much caffeine and um, it just kind of spiraled out of control and I um, really felt super unhealthy and it was really difficult to get anything done Um, the way I experienced that was um, a kind of lack of focus that comes from, I think, being sleep-deprived. That's real. (laughs) Yeah. And just every day. Yeah. And it was like I couldn't stay with anything, like any project that I tried to take on. And so I would have these, like, there were things I was excited about in New York, but I generally stayed in the apartment and didn't do those things. I, I The best thing I did that whole time was to learn how to cook because I had a roommate who was an amazing cook and food writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I could do. It was like enough, I had enough focus to be able to make a meal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was really not a fun time. And um, I ended up... Um, it, 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 we just didn't, we ended up not staying there because I was having, it felt like I was allergic to the city. Um, and I would just, I, yeah, I just remember waking up every morning and being like, I feel like I didn't sleep at all. Like I feel worse than I did the day before, like every day. Um, 
So I did some cool projects while I was there in that short period. I worked at the Museum of Natural History for a little bit and did some software for them and um, worked with a professor at ITP at NYU um, on some stuff that she was doing. And, and then my partner was working and thankfully had a more stable situation than I did and was getting better sleep than I was. Aww. So she was able to actually make um, some money for the house during that time. Um, but eventually I just threw up my hands and I was like, I don't want to move somewhere else in New York and, experience, and lock myself into another year lease and feel like the way I'm feeling right now. But um, so I don't know what to do. And um, that actually precipitated our move out to San Francisco Hmm. because it was such a painful experience. Carl's been in San Francisco now for many years. More recently, he's had a transformative experience letting go of fear he shares eloquently. Yeah, I mean, I had an incredible meditation retreat a little over a year ago where um, I was really able to feel myself letting go of a lot of that stuff where... When I look back at it, it feels like fear was in the driver's seat of my life until a year or so ago. And then I did something through meditation where I was able to um, change the kind of seat of my consciousness or something so that um, fear is sort of off to the side now. What'd you do? Um, just meditation, just a lot of silence, five days of sitting and walking and, um, and really, um, letting go. So it's not about doing, is it? (laughs) I thought it was about doing for a long time. What's it about? (laughs) Just being. Uh. (laughs) And that feels like that's what meditation is. It's just being, Hmm. it's not like, it's not magic. It's not anything that special people get to do that other people don't get to do. It's just being. And what do you see as the difference between doing and being? It's um, maybe two words that we could try out for that would be intending versus allowing. So intending is this act of thinking and then having a desire and then pursuing that. Mm Mm-hmm. And allowing is, yeah, why don't you tell me a little bit more about both of those? Yeah, allowing is just, let's check out what's going on Hmm. in the world around us. Let's just check it out and let's just allow it to be what it is. Sounds very nebulous. It is nebulous (laughs) and that's great. I love it. Yeah. Wow. What a difference to completely have something like their relationship to fear change so fundamentally. In this retreat, was it a gradual process where just each day kind of faded away, or was there specific moments or things that happened during it that were the the deeper change? So I was at this retreat, and we had just had dinner. It was kind of dusk, and I went walking around the neighborhood near the retreat center. And in one of the yards, there was a sign that um, that said something that reminded me of a song my parents had sang when I was growing up. I'd heard it a thousand times. And I started singing the song in my head. And I was just in this mental space where I was, like, playing with it. And I just started crying. And it was clearly there was something there for me emotionally. Um, At that moment, I had opened up enough through meditation to allow something deep from the subconscious to come up 
and it was just presenting itself in this way. And I started crying, and then as I sang my way through the song, um, each line was kind of loaded with emotion for me. Mm. And I would just cry and cry and cry until I... um, until I was done with that line, until it felt it didn't feel charged anymore. And then I would move on to the next line and start crying again. And I walked, I ended up walking up this hill and I was overlooking um, this you know, beautiful California valley and just by myself, I was just stayed with it for like probably 45 minutes. I don't know, it felt like forever, but just crying and just feeling it, just allowing myself to feel whatever was going on. And then um, when I got to the end of the song, I was like, okay, I guess that's it. Whatever just happened, whatever happened was what needed to happen. It was gone. The fear wasn't gone right away. Um, I didn't notice it anyway. Um, It wasn't until after the retreat, I came home to San Francisco and I went to sleep the first night. And I had... That first afternoon when I got home, I had an incredible meditation session. It was this like pure bliss. And it was something I hadn't experienced before. Mm-hmm. I'd done five days of meditation. If all, I'd learned a lot about how to meditate, but I hadn't had this like just total bliss feeling. I felt like I was on drugs. It was strange. Yeah. Um, but I just said, okay, that was what was happening. You know, that's, that's just what's going on right now. I'm, that's great. And then I went to sleep, and in the middle of the night, I woke up and I noticed that the fear was was gone essentially like it had changed i had changed the relationship to it wow and i it was a dog that barked in the middle of the night actually that made me realize that i heard this dog bark in the distance and um and it was like i could feel the space in my experience of like in my awareness i felt the space where i would have felt a jolt of fear from that dog barking. And there was just nothing. It was like an empty gap. Wow. It's and like that zip car smoothing things out internally this smoothing time. Smoothing it out internally. <laughs> exactly. The inner game of experience design. <laughs> so that, I woke up my partner and I was like, this is, I think I did it. I think I let go of something really big. And um, we just kind of looked at each other and just kind of celebrated that in the middle of the night. And I couldn't believe it. It was the best thing that's ever happened to me. It was all that I had been wanting through all of that impatience, right? Like, why even move to New York? Why even um, start a startup? It all kind of made sense all of a sudden. It's pretty incredible. (laughs) So I sat on the couch for the next few months after that and just hung out <laughs> and meditated all day. Like, I just didn't want to do anything. I, I was like, I'm good. I'm happy. Yeah. Um, I remember I was working with a coach at the time, um, um, a career coach, and I went in the next day and I was like, I don't, I don't need this anymore. Like, I'm, uh, it doesn't matter what job I take or whatever. I'm, I found contentment that doesn't seem to depend on my circumstances. And did it have something to do with what you said earlier about doing versus being? Yeah, I think that um, it absolutely does. 
I think I had not experienced being for a very long time. I think I had been in the doing mindset for... Um, I feel like we all start out being like when we're little. And yeah. so to me, it felt like a remembering of something I already naturally knew how to do. Yeah, there's some science about that. In your first, I think, four or five years, you haven't developed some of the things that allow, that make it so it's harder to just be. Right. Yeah. That's really cool. Like um, language, right? Even language. It's a language, and I think in this recent Michael Pollan book, he was talking about the sense of self. Yeah. And how when you don't have that, then you're just in this world and being, and then suddenly this idea of self comes in and you have to do things to protect right. or whatever. Like think about giving a presentation as an example of this. When we make a presentation and you see, you know, you're, you're first giving a presentation, a talk, let's say it's like a 30 minute talk. The first time you give it, um, for a lot of people, I think there's two things going on. One is that the talk is kind of unrefined because it's the first time you're giving it. But the other thing is that there's anxiety there and there's fear and there's other things that are happening in the mind around that are actually more of the, the doing kind of stuff. It's the, it's the, it's the thoughts intruding um, on the experience. And I think what happens, the reason people get better as they give a talk over and over again is not only the iterative improvement of the talk itself that, you know, you reflect upon what happened and you change your slides around or whatever, but the, the really beautiful thing is when the anxiety goes away because you've just done this a million times and you're like, I know how to give this talk. I know any question that could possibly come up. I know how I'm going to answer it. And what does that allow? It allows, it allows you to be on stage. And when you can be on stage, it's a completely different experience for you and for the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we're running short on time. One last question I had for you is about this fear that, that changed after this moment of this meditation retreat. And my question is, does it come back? You said it's, in the, it's not in the driver's seat. And you also mentioned it not being there. And so can you just tell me a little bit, you know, in... In something like this big transformation, it's hard to imagine it's completely gone. And so I'm curious what that's like for you and how you describe that. It's not gone, um, but it is off to the side. Um, And I heard about this. I'd heard about it before with, um, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, which I really like she talked about fear being in the driver's seat. And she said, I'm just not going to let fear take the, take the wheel. I'm going to take the wheel. And um, I didn't understand what that meant. I mean, I've, I've read a lot of self-help books over the years that sort of said something like that. Um, there's a book called Love is Letting Go of Fear that is just about this one thing. But what does that mean to let go of fear? And I thought it meant to run headlong into it. So I would, especially in the startup world, have a lot of experiences of really bullying myself into doing things that I was afraid of. And I guess to some extent that worked, but um, I didn't realize at the time that it's possible to kind of move the like high watermark or something. Like I'm, I'm using maybe too many different analogies here, but... It's okay. <laughs> but that um, 
that it's possible to just change your own relationship to it. And so now um, I experience fear differently. And it's really hard to describe how it's different, but um, social anxiety is gone to the extent that I had it. Um, And um, a lot of the kinds of stuff that would have really gotten me wrapped up within myself have just, I don't experience it that way anymore. Um, In front of an audience, I used to have total stage fright, but now like I just gave a talk in May to, you know, a hundred and something people. And my experience of it was like, I was sitting on stage. um, My hands were kind of tingling a little bit. Um, And maybe I was like sweating a little bit or something, but that's that was I was I was kind of like just looking at it. I was going, oh, that's interesting. My hands are tingling and I'm sweating a little bit. But I felt present. Whereas in the past, not I wouldn't have even noticed that my hands were tingling <laughs> or I was sweating. I would have been completely wrapped up in the inner self-talk mm. of being on stage and oh my god, am I going to say the right thing or not say the right thing or whatever? Yeah, it's like the process instead of the content of the experience you're noticing. Oh. Here's the sweaty palms. Here's the blah blah blah. Instead of this story of content of I'm afraid. I'm, well, how are people going to receive this? Yeah. Huh. And I would much rather experience what's real, which is how my body is doing, and what's right around me, and then uh, um, then something that's not real, which is all of those thoughts. So my last question for you is from this place where you're you're doing better on sleep and i know we didn't talk about that as much as we could have and your fear has changed how do you think about what you want to be doing with your time or being with your time i don't even know what word to use Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's up with you today i'm coaching a lot and that's been really exciting because humans are so complex and interesting Um, and so it's been um it's been a real challenge, but I feel it growing organically and I'm learning how to do sales and marketing for the first time, like kind of in my own authentic way and, um, just exploring. I mean, I feel like it's a continuation of the explorations, but with, um, much more of a clear point of view now and more disciplined to what I'm doing. And I really have seen the fruits of that, like right away compared when I compare it to the startup time, you know, that we talked about earlier. What are the fruits? Um, The clear point of view that I have about why I'm doing coaching, it keeps me doing it. And the doubts that come up, which do still come up, are just not as powerful. They don't grip me the same way they used to. Hmm. And that, I think, allows me to go deeper and it's it's through that going deeper that a business actually gets built that can function. That's awesome. <laughs> and where would people find you if they wanted coaching? Um, nerdcoach.io. Thanks for listening. I look forward to hearing your feedback and talking to you again next week. <laughs>